welcome everybody to uh, the third, fourth, fourth episode of Dismantling the Ivory Tower. I'm losing track. Um, I'm your host, Elijah John. I'm here with uh, Dr. Clifford C. Meeks, my co-host, and Dr. Khalid El-Hakim. Uh, thank you for being on, Khalid. You are our guest today, and you are the creator of the Black History Mobile Museum. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Just your, your origin story, your back background a little bit? Yeah, first of, uh, first and foremost, I want to thank you, Elijah, a bright student at uh, PCC for uh, the opportunity to come to speak uh, today on this podcast. Uh, but I'm the founder of the Black History 101 Mobile Museum, which is a collection of over 10,000 artifacts of black memorabilia that dates from the transatlantic slave trade up to uh, hip hop culture. Wow. And I've been collecting now for 32 years. And this work started off um, being really a um, social studies teacher in the Detroit public schools. And uh, at one point, walking into the classroom early on in my career and assessing the curriculum and assessing the textbooks that we had in class and seeing that there were huge gaps in the history of black people. Mm -hmm. And so my way of addressing that um, those, those gaps and those challenges in the curriculum and textbooks was to bring primary source material into the classroom to engage my students. And so I found out um, very early on that students um, love to see history in a, in a real type of way. Yeah. Uh, so to be able to bring in uh, letters written by Booker T. Washington or Frederick Douglass or Malcolm X and for them to see, not only see it, but to uh, interpret what they were seeing um, and to place those things in historical context and to see those things on the timeline was very, very powerful uh, and inspirational for them and affirming to them as well. And so that's where it started off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can I can only speak for myself when I say this, but um, I, I got to see your exhibit or part of it at Encore last year and seeing, like you said, the stuff physically, it's in front of you. You're looking at it. It's it's tangible, you know. Right. Yeah, when there's you know you you can read about something, you can watch something, but it's just so different to actually see it. Um, so I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Let me let me ask you this. Um, kind of. Now that you have been doing this for a long time, um, you, you said thirty years. Been collecting for thirty years, and, and um, actually traveling with the museum now for nationally for um, well six since two thousand and six. Since two thousand six, in all that time, can you tell me maybe what the most interesting or shocking thing that you've come across has been? I, that's something that's that I think would be would be interesting to find out. There, there's a lot of material. Of course, there. Of course. Yeah. 10,000 so, items. Yeah. That's a lot. So when I think about things that are shocking, even until today, finding material that were that was produced in America that reflects America's deep rooted ugly history of racism in America, things that were produced to propagate ugly stereotypes of black people being um, subhuman, mm -hmm. uh, especially when you see those things represented in children's books yeah. and with children being used to uh, propagate these ideas. Those things are very, very disturbing to me. Absolutely. Um, alligator bait 
being represented on postcards or figurines, and then knowing that this was an actual practice in America, in places like Florida and Louisiana, um, very, very disturbing to, to, to see those things out there. And at a point in time where I, I assume that I've seen a whole lot, I'm always finding more and more and more material that's, you know, just as disturbing as the very first piece I ever saw. Yeah. Uh, something I saw uh, also at, you know, Encore last year um, was it was a postcard of a lynching. Um, and it, it's so surreal to me that, that somebody can look at that and go, what a nice, yeah, it's a great fit. I'm going to send this to my family. I'm going to say, like, it's horrific, but it is an important part of our history um, in this country. Is there sort of, I guess I would ask, when you, when you see something like that, what makes you want, like, what makes you want to preserve that? You know, what makes you want to take that and, and put it in the museum for people to see, you know? I think the primary reason is simply because it's evidence. Yeah. Some of these things are so horrific um, in terms of the, the violence and hatred that it, that it shows that if I tried to explain it to people without having something physically to represent what it was, people would think that, you know, I was crazy for trying to, you know, tell these type of stories. Right. If you didn't have the evidence. Right. So it's, it's, it's uh, very important that we preserve these things. And I find people often in my travels who say that they, you know, want to destroy these things or if they, That's find, why I they asked. if they find, if they find it, they'll burn it or they want to burn it when they see it. And I'm just like, hold up, you know, we don't want to burn it, destroy it. Right. Because if you do that, then you destroy the evidence of, a, a serious crime that's happened. Right. You and know, we say, you yeah. know, if you forget history, you're doomed to repeat it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering, um, Brother Khaled, because I guess, and this might be a rhetorical question, but do you still travel just to collect? I know you travel with the museum, but like, do you still travel collecting artifacts still? Well, I do, I do both. So where, okay. wherever I travel, <clears throat> I'm, I'm collecting things. Okay. So, for okay. example, I, I was just in Portland last week. Right. And I, I was over in the Hollywood dist- district. Uh, there's an antique shop. I forgot what street it's on. But uh, down the street from the Hollywood Theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh, in, in, in this, um, it's kind of like, a, it's not a strip mall, but it's this spot that you go downstairs in the, the basement. is It's an antique shop. I go, I go there quite a bit. I found an old Curtis Blow album in there. Get out. Um, yeah, I found um, a cool Keith T-shirt and uh, a couple other things. I forgot the other things. Oh, a, a Lena Horn album and and a, and a Raggedy Ann and Andy racist um, children's book. So I found all those. And I mean, just one one swoop going down there. Wow. So I mean, the stuff is still out there. You yeah. Know, if you if you take your time and, and and dig through antique shops or used bookstores or garage sales, estate sales, you know, the material's still out there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I I asked that thinking like yeah I figured you still did but I know you travel so much with the museum and I'm like does this brother even still have time to like no I mean <laughs> anywhere, I, anywhere I travel I try to find antique shops and, and dig I mean mm-hmm. I'm I'm a collector even before I'm an educator I've been collecting since I was in middle school oh wow uh, I started collecting comic books and baseball right. cards and basketball cards those types of things so the collector in me is what kind of drives this other material um, okay. yeah. Uh, and I, I'm gonna ask another question. Yeah, so go for that, it, please. 
how then, Kyla, and, and might be switching gears here, Elijah, so you let me know, but how then, brother, do you come up with the themes? Because you and I have talked about this, yeah. you know, off and on, and I'm just curious, like, how do you come up with the I am going to stop you there for a yeah. second, just for a second. I want to come back to that, but I what, what I want to ask real quick is, um, you were talking about antique shops and, and, and stuff like that. Is that where you curate the majority of your collection from, like, back, you know, kind of a- antique shops, type, little places yeah, like that? Yeah, that main, mainly, mainly it's been antique shops. Uh, like I said, antique, antique shops use bookstores, garage sales, flea markets, uh, thrift shops. Okay. But, yeah, yeah, antique shops mainly. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, that's very interesting. That's, mm-hmm. that's all I wanted to know just because, like, some of the stuff I see, I'm like, I can't imagine where you could possibly have gotten this, you know, and, yeah. Sorry. All right. Oh, no, right. you good. You yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. No, nah, I was. I think that was my my next question was like, you know, coming up with the things because you and I we've known each other. Oh gosh, where was it? 15? 2015? Yeah. yeah. So and I I think when you first brought the museum, I did not realize you had themes to these. Yes. Yeah. And so, so let me let me tell you this. PCC was the very first, co- well, it's been the longest relationship with a college ongoing that I've had. Um, so dating back to 2008 is when I first came to oh, wow. PCC. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I started getting calls to come back to the campus, mm-hmm. the idea for thematic exhibits came up. Okay. Because prior to that, I was going to places and there were just one shots per year and I wouldn't go back to places. But PCC got me on track because I was coming back, you know, one or two or three years after I think the third year, I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, I got to do something a lot different. And then that's when the ideas for themes started coming up. Okay. But um, so, you know, it's this 10,000 artifacts, right? So I always want to be able to do something new, something fresh and um, be able to take something um, interesting and thought-provoking to campuses. Mm-hmm. So, and so the ideas for themes, they come up, I don't know, I, I might wake up in the middle of the night and have a, th- <laughs> a theme, <laughs> right? But, you know, it's, it's also based upon um, anniversaries, you know, historical anniversaries. So mm-hmm. uh, I know PCC has had, um, I was there in 2018, and so that was the fiftieth um, anniversary of, of King's assassination. So mm-hmm. you all had the the sixty eight exhibit that year. Right. I uh, had an exhibit on Malcolm X mm-hmm. called uh, called Necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had one called the Three M's: Martin, Malcolm, and Michael. Uh, uh, the fifth uh, the fifth element of hip hop, mm-hmm. and then this year obviously is the fiftieth anniversary of hip hop culture. Next year's exhibit is called the Music of the Movement. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. yeah so, okay. yeah. So you know, so, and, so and those, they, they they just popped up, you know, about two months ago. So they, they so you finding that Curtis Blow and Lena Horne album became in handy. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna turn it back to you, Elijah. Okay. Um. So I yeah I have a I have a question, which is sort of like how does the mobile museum challenge traditional museum spaces and and sort of engage a wider audience mm. in learning about black history because Excellent. this is not a traditional museum yeah that, that's, that's a great question um first and foremost it, it challenges the dominant narrative that you see in museums mm-hmm. um and there, there's a great uh, uh photograph of a little girl looking at uh the michelle obama um painting in mm-hmm. in, sure. in, the, in the national gallery which is a powerful picture but 
you see this little black girl looking up at this picture and you get a sense that she sees herself being affirmed mm-hmm. by seeing you know someone who looks like her. And historically, black people and people of color have walked into museum spaces and have not seen themselves represented. At all. At all, right? Yeah. And so, and that's obviously problematic. So, and we have to understand that, you know, it's it's more of a challenge trying to demand these large institutions to be inclusive of us than it is for us to say, yo, we're going to create our own museum. Yeah. All right, if you all are not representing our history, then we're going to do our own thing. And historically, we've done that. So, um, and what I'm doing is nothing, nothing new and innovative, really. Um, but it goes back to a tradition of black scholars, collectors, historians, activists who have taken our historical material and have taken it around the country. All right. Um, or opened up their own museums. Yeah. So, you know, everybody from um, Arturo Schomburg up to, you know, Dr. Charles Wright and Margaret Burroughs out of uh, Dr. Burroughs out of Chicago, Dr. Wright out of Detroit uh, and many, many other people have uh, either started archives or, or museums themselves and have done this type of work. I'm wow. just, I'm just, you know, one little person in this long line of. But it's uh, not insignificant. It's uh, certainly no, no, not no. It's, it's all it's all significant, and um, but I think the other thing that that makes the work um, that distinguishes me from from other people uh, is first and foremost me growing up in a um, in a hip hop environment, yeah. having the hip hop uh, sensibility, and seeing the potential in the the liberatory um, agency in hip hop culture to to be able to do this this type of work uh, and gives you that type of confidence to be able to say, well, if folks are, you know, not coming to museums, I'm going to take that museum, you know, uh, to the people. But on top of that, uh, it, uh, hip hop gives you the space to be whoever you claim to be. Right. Right. And so when I, when I made the statement that this is a museum, mm-hmm. it was a museum because I said it, I said it was, you and, know what I'm saying? And, and, and it's a mobile museum because when I show up, you know, people see it and they go, oh, this is the type of stuff that I would see in the museum. And people ask yeah. me, oh, do you have a museum? No, I don't have a museum. This I, is I, the museum. This, this is the museum. And, yeah. and and they go, wow. And um, and so it's that wow factor. It's that, that boldness of just showing up onto a, you know, a P, PWI with this material that disrupts the everyday flow of these campuses I go to because I end up in, you know, in the lobby of a place that people come through all day, every day. And then all of a sudden you have this, you know, 200 artifacts of material. Some of it is from slavery. Some of it's from the Jim Crow era. Some of it might be hip hop related. And then it disrupts that space where people are kind of forced to look at the material, Mm -hmm. question the material, feel a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Feel a little bit nostalgic a little bit uh, empowered by it and you know it it, uh, it creates some great conversations it's I like that you use the word disrupt because it's disruption that, that creates change that mm-hmm. moves us forward right and keep the status quo then nothing changes everything's the same forever absolutely um, so I like that I do have a question you know going back to something you said brother Khaled like you know you said you you seek these artifacts to you know, collect, you know, you're a collector and, you know, you, you said you've had some people who were like, yeah, I would destroy these and everything. And you're like, no, we, these are like part of the, the legacy, right. you know, 
uh, as 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 controversial and as and as um, triggering as some of them can be, they're part of the legacy of our of our of our ancestors, you know, in this country. <clears throat> but I am curious, like, what's your thought uh, around like like the the British Museum and other museums that have basically taken artifacts? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and, I have some something to say and, about that and as well. Want them, you know, and but are refusing to return them mm-hmm. to the rightful heirs. You know, you know, it's it, and and I know you're in a bit of a dip. You're in a different, you know, hey, you're in a different category, different yeah. league, if you want to call it that. But I am curious, like, what what's your thought around that? Because here it is, you're preserving right. legacy, mm-hmm. not plundering, not pillaging. You know, not by violence, not by genocide, but you are preserving, you know, the atrocities and the result and the trauma from these atrocities. Not not out of spite, but just so folks recognize, at least from my mind in the conversations you and I have had in the past, the fact that these things happen, we cannot and will not deny that. Other folks will try to deny that. But if we know the real history, all that does is make us stronger, you know, and more brilliant, more creative, more innovative in how we navigate our space here. But I am curious, like, what's your take on that whole concept that's happening? Yeah. So one of the um, one of the challenges in in the museum world um, is that reality that you just mentioned. You have this history of colonialism where you've had these European uh, colonial powers go to these places around the world and plunder and take and put into their museums, you know, these treasures. Right. If somebody controls your narrative, then they control you. Right. Right. Uh, but over time, people have realized, come into, come into a sense of themselves and a sense of their history, understanding that they hold these artifacts and they're demanding, you know, many of these countries are demanding them back. Mm-hmm. But this is so complex because, you know, there, there's money issues. Right. Uh, there, there's this power issues. Like if you're if you're giving those things back, think about how much you're empowering mm-hmm. these communities. Right. Um, and, you know, these these are European colonial powers that have taken this material. They only show you what they show you. Right. They ain't mm-hmm. show. They ain't showing you everything. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know. That's so true. that that's that's the other thing as well. Um, but you know, those of us who come from um, oppressed uh, groups, we we have to organize and demand for for our legacies to to come back to us mm-hmm. and be in full control of that. Okay. You know. I mean. How how dare you? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I know we're on the podcast, so I, I can't cuss, but you know, we we know we we have to we have to get our stuff back. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um. You know, just I can speak to that a little bit, just from from seeing it. Um. I I spent some time in Europe, just kind of traveling around. And I went to a lot of museums. Um. And a common theme across every single one of those museums was stolen stuff like stolen artifacts stolen history mm-hmm. stolen culture um and the way that i think i've i've seen that we're starting to or at least some of these museums are starting to sort of acknowledge it 
right? And they're acknowledging it. Um, but acknowledging and acting are, are, are different. And I, I think, yeah, like you said, it's a very complicated issue. Sometimes there's even the question of like, who do we even give this back to? Exactly. Yeah. And, and if you give it back to somebody, what are they going to do with it? Exactly. exactly. Are they going to yeah. preserve it? Are they going to take care it? of it? Yeah, like, are they going to take care of it? Are they going to take it and sell it? Right. So, right. I mean, right. and those, those are re- realities, right? right? It's not it's not as simple as just give it back sometimes. Yeah, exactly. it's, it's really not. Um, but I, I have been seeing uh, some acknowledgement. But, I, you know, I went to this one museum in Amsterdam, and it's a museum that is exclusively... What they well the way that they kind of put it was it's exclusively like foreign artifacts it's not European artifacts but what it was was exclusively stolen every single thing in that entire place was taken from somewhere and um, I remember I saw one that was uh, a it it was a it was a huge ivory horn um, and it was from an African village and it had burn marks all over mm. it from when the British came and raised the entire place and they acknowledge it and it's like yeah wow but that's it's just horrible and it's it's not um i guess it's it's complicated because it's like it makes you feel bad you're like what this i feel like this shouldn't be here but where should it be right (laughs) right right, yeah right right yeah Um, i went to um went to cairo last year and um you know i know read about egypt you know, kind of watch some videos and lectures on on Egypt, but it's not until you go to Cairo and you go into the temples and you go into the pyramids and you go into all these places um, that are thousands of years old that yeah. you get a sense of the depth and breadth of artifacts that were created by black folk. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a lot of controversy right now and um, with with um, some of our Arab brothers and sisters who are who are Egyptian, and some of the you know folks that come from you know Greek backgrounds and European backgrounds who are making claims to Egypt, but when you look at that history of Egypt, it was black folk. When, when you go all the way back, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, there's this controversy about Cleopatra right now, for yeah. example. Yeah, right. because and, of the and, 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 and you know, I, I I'll I'll give you that she was of mixed ancestry, right? Sure. So you know, very light skin. You know, even if she was you no know, extremely light skinned, you know, um, fine. But the reality with her is that when she was queen, queen, when she was queen, those pyramids that were there were the ancient of the ancient in That's her time. That's right. That's right. You know right. what I'm saying? So they were thousands of years old when she was a queen. Right. Mm-hmm. And we know that the people who built those pyramids. Yeah. Were black folk. Yep, we know no that. No question. And it's now, now she she was a part of the last dynasties up there, which you right. know by that time the Greeks have come in and that type of thing. But you go back, right. that first step pyramid. Right. Yo, those those are those are black people. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and and, it, and, and 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 when you go into these these temples, which I walk through, yeah, and you look on the walls. These are people of my my complexion. Yeah, right? you can you can see it. You can see you can see it. Like and the and it's almost as if. The Egyptians knew that this was going to happen at some point, which is mm-hmm. why they did the carvings and all that. And, and you're talking about carvings that you know uh, the hieroglyphs that go you know two or three inches, six inches into the wall, so you cannot like you, right. you can't take that you off. You can't erase it, Mm-mm. and it's so much. I mean, everywhere you go, so much in these temples, it's unbelievable. And then you look at the statues, you look at the you know 
all, all the stuff that they left for us. Mm-hmm. It's, it's no question. Absolutely it. not. And it's, it's, it's crazy how so many people will try to take that away. Yeah, like, exactly. Like it's, it's, you see it even in like the, the idea of like the pyramids were built by aliens. It's like, you just don't want them to be built by black people. Like that, <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. And but, that, and but that's 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 their absurdity. I mean, you right. know, and, that's the absurdity. And, and then and them being so connected and so um obsessed with keeping this idea of whiteness, right. you know, and right. putting a putting a, a a premium on this this color thing, which is is ridiculous. Right. You know, but to go to these other museums around the country and around the world and see Egyptian artifacts yep. that they kept for, you know, that they, you know, other people have gone and, and collected. Um, I mean, it's, it's still the proof of how great and grand um, the African presence um, was in Egypt, you know, yeah, and that, yeah. they, that they were, you know, definitely people of color of all shades. You're right. So. Absolutely. Definitely. Um, so, uh, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know you're trying to go eat, but um, just a couple more questions. First, I kind of want to ask, this podcast is titled Dismantling the Ivory Tower. Um, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to dismantle the Ivory Tower? And there's no wrong answer here. I'm just curious. Just face value. What does that mean to you? Again, for me, it's it's looking at understanding how this, how this, how these institutions historically have been built. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And you know, asking some simple questions, actually two questions. What narratives are being promoted at these institutions historically? Mm-hmm. What voices are being centered historically? And what voices are, are, are not present historically? Right. And when you answer those two questions, which are really grounded in critical race theory, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. Oh, right. Don't say that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you, but you, 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 that's that's where the answers are. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah, you know why, why, why are all the textbooks that we're reading from white perspectives? Right. And and why aren't we getting black black perspectives? Why not? Why aren't we getting Native American perspective? Why aren't we getting Asian American perspectives in these classes? Do you want to talk uh, directly into the mic? Just oh, a little yeah, bit more. yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah, so. Yeah, um, that reminds me. What was that Napoleon quote you said the other day in class? History is a lie that is agreed upon. And that's yeah. attributed mm-hmm. to Napoleon. Um, yeah, yeah, because we were talking about the concept of settler colonialism. Yes. In, in class and how, you know, I, I, was telling, I was telling the guys in the cohort, I was like, we cannot begin to talk about race and racism without talking about settler colonialism first mm-hmm. because it's from there that the system of settler colonialism basically laid the groundwork for the genocidal, violent, vitriolic, violent trauma that has been inflicted upon and continues to be inflicted upon um, marginalized communities. You know, you know, back then it was primary physical violence. Mm-hmm. But... What I was also telling them too was, you know, it's also through policy, which, in some respects, leads to a leads to what I consider to be a psychological trauma, a psychological violence, because, mm-hmm. you know, most treaties have never been honored. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, most treaties have never been honored. Um, 
you know, in addition to the treaties not being honored, I mean, you fast forward to today and you look at the policies that are being perpetuated in all these states, whether you're talking about abortion rights, whether you're talking about anti-trans, anti-queer, it's, it's like, you're, 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 it's like the cruelty is, is really is the point. Cruelty is the point. It Mm -hmm. really is the point. Right. And it's just like. And in some respects, I feel there's that similar to what Dr. Dunbar Ortiz was writing in her book, An Indigenous People's History of the United States, which is the concept of settler colonialism was about we are here, we need this land, and we're just going to take it. Because mm-hmm. as I, 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 jokingly, I jokingly tell the guys, I'm like, to this day, no one has still been able to tell me how someone discovers something that's already inhabited. Mm-hmm. That is not discovery. Right. <laughs> and we all know dude was lost. Right. He did not like, know where he like was. He didn't know where he was going. Right. <laughs> so, you know, but in that respect, you know, that that's, you know, going to that concept of it's a lie agreed upon. If I can if if we all agree that there's this lie, then to your point, we are now controlling the narrative. Exactly. And it's it's not only the master narrative, it's the master's narrative. Exactly. Mm. So, you know, that's what's that's what makes this also powerful. And that's what makes the work you do disruptive to the master narrative and the master's narrative. You know, you're now disrupting it because now folks see it and they recognize as in critical rate, as Dr. Crenshaw states, you know, the counter narrative, mm-hmm. you know, because, and there was always a counter narrative. Right. And then, and the thing is, is that once you see it, you can't unsee it. Exactly. You cannot you know, unsee it. I mean, it's, it's, it's the real, right. You know, once you say you can't say it. So, right. uh, and then, and that makes my job a little bit easier because I, <laughs> exactly. I, I don't have to explain too much once you see it. Exactly. And then, then you, what, what ends up happening is that, you put it into the laps of people and they're forced to have to deal with it. Exactly. And, you know, do their own research and, and, and get it reinforced mm-hmm. through their, their, their own research. Well, I had a, I had a real quick question cause I know, like Elijah said, you know, we're trying to uh, respect your time so you get some nourishment, but I am curious and, and you might, you might have this question on here, Elijah already, but I am curious, brother Khaled. You know, you you got a history with hip hop too. Yeah. And with this being That's the fiftieth, this being the fiftieth anniversary or the fiftieth birthday of hip hop, in your professional opinion or professional treaties, like how do you believe the 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 culture, the language, the brilliance of hip hop has been and continues to, as we say. The, titled this podcast dismantle the ivory tower it particularly in the annals of academia because you know in the pre-conference we were in with mikey benitez and just siri x and uh, dj cutting candy it was like academia frowns upon you know <laughs> you know the use of anything other than you know the the, the intellectualization those theories that are within the textbook. Mm-hmm. It's almost like discounting the lived experience. Exactly. So yeah. I'm, I'm curious. Where well, do, you know, hip hop is a is a is a powerful, powerful culture. I mean, it 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 
disrupts just you know by by its own nature. You yeah. know, it, you know, if you know when society says go left, hip hop goes goes <laughs> right every you know time. And um and you get a sense of how powerful it is when you look at college campuses and you see um, classes on Tupac, or when you see classes on Cardi B, or you know when you see classes on you know just hip hop culture in, in, in general at this point, but people quoting Public Enemy, mm-hmm. people quoting KRS One, people quoting again Tupac or you know other folks. So. Um, as much as people want to try to keep it out of academia, it's, it's there and it's there to stay, especially when you have a group of academics who have come up through these PWIs, um, but have a hip hop sensibility like myself. You know, I grew up, you know, inspired by Public Enemy, KRS-One, Rakim, Queen Latifah, so on and so forth. So they very much informed my worldview. Mm-hmm. So I'm walking into an academic space, you know, questioning things, you know, as, as a teacher, looking for in a textbook things that will represent. I heard Malcolm X on Public, en- in Public Enemy music back in the 1980s mm-hmm. at a time where people were not checking for Malcolm X at all. Exactly. You know, yeah. I, picked, I picked up the autobiography of Malcolm X and read that cover to cover, not because a teacher gave it to me, but because KRS-One recreate that photograph on his album cover in 87 yep. and I'm questioning like Malcolm X like I heard Martin Luther King but who who's this Malcolm X guy mm-hmm. that he's talking about so I'm reading Malcolm X and it changed my life mm-hmm. you know and um there was a there was a culture of you know seeking out knowledge back right. in the 80s that was very prominent in hip hop culture especially uh, taboo knowledge is that right or yeah, well, sort of well I wouldn't say taboo knowledge, but, but, you know, knowledge that was counter, you know, the mainstream knowledge that you were getting in your K through 12 experience, college experience. So many of us, we were trying to get knowledge from different, you know, scholars um, and, and, you know, different, you know, reading different books and watching different, you know, films and documentaries back then, trying to get a sense of ourselves in a society that told us that we were still back in the eighties, nineties, that we were less than human beings that were, you know, if you're a black male, that you're a criminal Mm -hmm. and that you, you are on a a path to go into prison or into, into the grave, you know, that we, we had no possibility of uh, ever reaching a level of success in the society, unless you were an athlete or, uh, you know, a musician or something. But, um, but hip hop, for, for at least for me, opened up a whole different avenue um, and gave me a whole sense of uh, different possibilities for myself. And then, you know, coming into an academic space, I I didn't decide to get my master's, my PhD until late in the game, until I was in, you know, I was in my 40s. But by that time, I'm coming into graduate school with a hip hop sensibility that was completely disrupting things at the colleges I I was getting my my higher (laughs) ed in. So, you know, they, they had to, they had to deal, they had to deal with that, you know? And, um, so here I am. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, you know what? I'm gonna close this out with one last question. Um, in honor of the 50th anniversary of hip hop, what's your top five? Uh, My top five, I would have to say Rakim, Karis one, I'm an Ice Cube fan. I am a Black Thought fan, and I am a Most Deaf fan. Okay, yeah. I was waiting for Most Deaf. Yeah. 
anyways uh, well thank you very much for coming on nah, it's brother. been my honor yeah, yeah uh, this was fantastic always a blessing to have you bro yes indeed always. absolutely well thank you very much and uh, thank you hope you enjoy the rest of your day alright alright peace thank you man this is cool